In each of our lives, there are places where we feel completely stuck. Sometimes it's us who continues to drive that nail deeper. Sometimes it's situations outside of our control. Maybe you've tried to pull the nail out for years and try as you might, it just seems impossible. But what if there was a way to experience lasting freedom and hope? What if there was a way to break free? I hope that what you observed over the last number of minutes is a true reflection of what we're all feeling because um, I know this may be uncommon, but we, we actually really, really love each other around here. And when God steps in and says, I've got a new door and a new opportunity, sometimes it's hard for us to catch up and wrap our heads and our hearts around it. And I've had a little bit more time than you have um, to process these things through, but I hope what you saw today, I want you to know how genuine it is. Like we really, really do care about each other and we graciously hold on to people for a while and then we graciously get to release them because the one thing that we will not ever waver from is when God opens a door, you gotta walk through it. It's just the way it is. And so we want to love and Andy as he and Lauren walk through this door. Last Friday, I got a text from a friend. It said, I have a really big favor to ask of you. Can I call? I said, absolutely. Happy to help you. He called and said, here's the deal. I need you to get my passport and ship it to me. Like, no problem. That sounds easy enough. He says, but in order to get my passport, you're going to have to uh, get into my shop, break into my office, break into a filing cabinet and break open a safe. I'm like, That actually sounds kind of fun. So I head to the shop. He gives me a code. I get inside. I find a screwdriver. I pry open the office door. I use the same screwdriver to pop open a filing cabinet. And at that moment, I'm questioning whether or not I should have actually become a pastor because this is going really, really well for me. (laughs) Just kidding. I get to the safe, and I want you to think it's kind of one of these small personal home safe boxes, not a six-foot metal gun safe. And so I attack that thing with a screwdriver and a pry bar because I've got to get my friend's passport so he can go and do what he needs to do. I'm intent on my task. Break into the safe, get the passport. I'm working, I'm breaking a sweat. I'm talking to my friend on the phone at exactly the same time. And suddenly I'm aware of the fact that standing directly in front of me is a small black dog. And right behind him is his owner who's looking at me with a high degree of suspicion. What are you doing in here, is what was written all over his face. I'm suddenly aware (laughs) how bad this looks. (laughs) I'm three layers into a break-in, and the guy in front of me doesn't know me at all. I can see the headlines. Pastor preaching break-free, caught in (laughs) break-in, and is now locked up. I mean, I could just see it on the front page of the Bellingham Herald. So I'm in deep eye contact with the guy who caught me in the act, and very slowly I say, hi. (laughs) I'm here getting my friend's passport, and he's on the phone right now, and you should talk to him. (laughs) And they did. I hand him the phone, they verify I'm not a criminal, and I go back to working on the safe. Driving home, (laughs) I think to myself, All my friend would have had to say is, I have no idea what he's talking about. (laughs) And Brian Behrens would have been preaching this weekend. That's how it would have gone. Last week, we started a brand new series called Break Free. For the next number of weeks, we're going to be tapping into God's power as we seek to break free from those besetting or habitual sins that seem to defy our very best effort to release us. We began last week 
learning that when you're dealing with a deeply entrenched sin in your life, you don't start with the sin, you start with the Savior. We celebrated the word of God said. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Jesus also said, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. And we got so excited when Jesus said this. So if the son sets you free, you're free indeed. We clung to the promise of liberation, emancipation, when Jesus quoted from the book of Isaiah and said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim that this is the year of the Lord's favor, a day of vengeance for our God to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And then he said this about us, and they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the day of his splendor. And we declared in the face of trying to break free that Jesus is our hope, that Jesus can break the bonds of sin, that Jesus said we're no longer defined by what we did know. He says we are more than conquerors and that through his finished work on the cross, we can actually be free. And then we talked about something else. We, we talked about our human tendency to, to shift our focus. We, we would rather talk about somebody else's sin than deal with our own. And then we talked about this, this tendency inside of us to ignore our persistent failure. And the excuse that we use is it's a blind spot. It's just the way I am. That's the way God made me. And we tore away at the foundation of that belief system because the truth is, it's not a blind spot. We've just become so used to it, it's a part of our daily life. But it doesn't have to be. And Jesus is the one who can set us free. So we came to this cruxing moment last week where we answered a question, what is your besetting sin? What's that sin that tangles you up, that makes you trip, that opens the doors to all other kinds of stuff? And we came to a moment of courage where I asked you, can you write it down? Do you have the courage to actually put it in ink on a piece of paper? I found an interesting perspective this past week. This is a famous verse, Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. I don't want to build an entire theology around one phrase, but I find it interesting that it doesn't say, and the sins that so easily entangles us. No, it says, let us throw off everything that hinders that's plural. That's all of the stuff that we all deal with all of the time that brings the brokenness and the shame. Let's throw off everything and singular, the sin that so easily entangles. That one sin that trips us up and we get wrapped up in it over and over. And isn't it interesting that it says that so easily entangles? And then there's an invitation and God says, you're going to need to throw it off. Throw off that addiction that wraps itself around our soul and keeps us from living clean and sober. That 
to, to throw off that character flaw that keeps us gossiping and judging and justifying, to throw off that arrogance that believes this series is for everybody else in the room, but not for me. That worry that keeps us bound up in a prison of anxious thoughts and trapped in a world of what might be, to throw off that anger that rages out of control and makes the people you love run for cover because they have experienced your volcano before. They have felt the lava that comes spilling out of your mouth when you are out of control, to throw off that, that liar inside of us that inflates the story, twists the reality, and substitutes the truth for a lie just because you believe that somehow in the depth of your soul, the person that God created you to be is just not enough. Before you can throw it off, you've got to identify what it is. I'm not saying that this one sin is more important in dealing with than anything else in your life. I'm saying we all seem to have that one thing that kicks the door open to so much else. And if we could shut the door on that besetting sin, I wonder how much more freedom we could experience. This week we're going to look back so we can look forward. In the book of Genesis, God comes to a man named Abram. He's going to be renamed Abraham later on. Abraham means the father of many, but, and, that, and that's going to come later on in the story. But before that happens, God comes to Abram with a promise. It's in your outline. Here it is. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I know some of us read that and they go, oh, that's just so good that Abram got a promise. Do you know God gave you a promise too? Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to the day of completion in that day of Christ Jesus. You've got a promise too. If you're willing to enter into the hard work of working on the deep stuff in your soul, you need to know God says, I will finish that work. And it's hard work. This series is not for those who lack courage, but I tell you something, God promises if you will be real, transparent, authentic, and honest, if you will surrender your life, he will set you free and you will make it to your promised land. Abram's promise was that he would be a father of a great nation. With that promise in hand, Abram journeys to Egypt and in a moment of hardship isn't the way that it always works for all of us. When we're doing good, besetting sins can just kind of disappear into the rearview mirror and we think we're just good, 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 good. And then a moment of stress or pressure pushes in on us and we find ourselves right back where we started. The Bible says this, now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. We read that story, and we have all kinds of reactions. Don't miss this, okay? I admire his protective heart as a husband, but in the moment he says to his wife, I want you to lie about your identity, this is where Abram went wrong. He forgot the promise. God had told him, 
between you and Sarah, I'm going to create a nation that will be known by my name. And if Abram would have been thinking, he would have understand something. If I or my wife is dead, the covenant that will create God's people can't happen. But he loses it. He forgets the promise. And in true human form, instead of trusting God, Abram takes matters into his own hands. I can say this from experience. Every sin represented in this room, including mine, follows the exact same pattern. We think our way of dealing with life is just a little bit better than God's wisdom. And it's so easy to justify it. So easy to justify our anger. And we don't own the fact that God said in your anger, don't sin. Which means it's okay to get angry, just don't sin while you're doing it. We think our need to talk about someone behind their back overrides God when he says this, a perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friendships. We think that that numbing ourselves to cope with life is a better strategy than God's plan. And just so you know, God said that he wanted you to have a life and have it to the full. So here's what happens. We just think we're smarter than God, so we take matters into our own hands. And every time that happens, the entanglement of sin wraps around our ankles, and then we wonder, why in the world am I always flat on my face? We think we can handle it. We think we deserve it. So we choose it and then excuse it, and we're shocked to find out it's killing us from the inside out. If you read the story, I believe there are There are besetting sins of Abram. I was going to share too, lying and selfishness, which always leads to self-preservation, but I want you to stroke out, if you're following in your outline, stroke out the whole last section. We're just going to do the first one. We're just going to talk about the fact that that he lied. And some of you are going, but Grant, I mean, we're talking about besetting habitual sins, those repetitive patterns that we get get into. This is just a one-time occurrence. No, it's not. You know how I know this is a repetitive sin pattern? Because in eight chapters, Abram's going to do it again. And in 14 chapters, his kid is going to do exactly the same thing. He's going to tell the same lie. Not all besetting sins start big. This moment in Abram's life is easily justified as as being protective, but what he forgot about was God's promise of protection. God's promise of protection. How does this translate into our, our, our lives every single day? It's pretty simple. God promised he would provide all our needs, so you shouldn't have to steal anything. God said that he would always honor the truth no matter what, which means none of us in this room should ever have to lie. God promised that he would bring us comfort. In fact, he said that he would send the Holy Spirit as a comforter so we shouldn't need to find temporary relief, relief by numbing ourselves with anything because God said, I promised I'll take care of you. This one small decision to break God's standard opens the door to a whole bunch of other sin. You're like, Grant, where did that come from? One of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not bear false witness. One decision opens the door to lead so many others. And here's what happens. 
It breaks down trust in our homes, in our friendships, and in our workplaces. The biblical list of liars is heartbreaking. Abraham, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, Rachel, Leah, Joseph's brothers, Achan, Saul, and the list goes on and on and on. People who made a decision, I'm going to lie to save my own skin instead of believing in the promise that God will protect me. Here's a tough part of this repetitive sin issue. I put it in your outline this way. Sin may appear to bring short-term gain, but the long-term consequences will affect you, your loved ones, and your relationship with God. We think our besetting sin is just hurting us. I promise you it's not. It's affecting everyone in your world around you. When you read all of these stories, you see something here. You see an illusion that Abraham's lie actually paid off. But in the end, we know it never does. Let's look at the text. Here comes the rest of the story. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarah was a very beautiful woman. When Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. Now, some of us are looking and going, I don't understand the upside of that, but in this culture, that's a really, really, really big deal, okay? And if you look at the story at face value, you think, hey, the lie's actually paying off. Seems like it's working out. Abraham is acquiring all kinds of stuff. Here's the problem. His wife is living in the harem of the leader of Egypt. That's an issue. That's not cool. That's not good for Abram or Sarah. But it looks like everything's going okay. And isn't that just the way the enemy tempts us? He comes and lays exactly the same opportunity in front of you. Like all you got to do is just pad the resume just a little bit. Because if you can pad the resume and inflate your status, then you're going to get the job. And if you get the job, you're going to get all kinds of perks. And if you get the perks, you're going to get the paycheck. And if you get the perks and the paycheck, then you're going to be able to pay off your debt and look after your family. Oh, it's got to be the right thing to do. God says in Proverbs 21.6, the acquisition of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor, the very pursuit of death. Abram appears to be getting away with it. But here's the next line in this story. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household. Do you see it? Your sin affects others. It's a hard truth. My besetting sin affects everyone around me. Can you admit that to yourself? Last week was hard. We had to name it. Now we've got to add something else to it that's really difficult. Can you admit, can you acknowledge your besetting sin affects the people in your world? We just released a podcast this past week. Um, this story is absolutely amazing. We highlighted the story of two brothers, Pastor Ryan Irvin, who serves on staff here at Christ the King, and his brother Miles. 
you don't want to miss as they share their journey of how a besetting sin can affect a whole family and how Jesus can restore a whole family. You hear these two brothers. Ryan is a professional pastor. I love to give Miles a hard time because I call him reverend and pastor because you see him in our baptismal tank a lot, baptizing brothers who are breaking free from addiction because of the good work that Jesus has done in Miles' life. God can put the pieces together even when our besetting sin has affected those around us. Years ago, I met with a dad about his alcoholism. He was broken by his own drinking. And his story was every single evening he would withdraw to the garage to cope. That's what he was doing. His family asked if I would come in and help with with an intervention family meeting. And I will never forget his teenage daughter sitting there looking at her dad. She made him establish eye contact. And then she said, Daddy, when you drink, you get angry. When you get angry, I get scared. So you have to choose your garage and your buzz or my hug. That's a sobering conversation. Can I give you the good news? Last weekend, he showed me his 18-year coin of being clean and sober. Isn't that awesome? It's amazing. That happened out of a heart because he saw that his besetting sin was affecting his daughter, and he cried out to God, and God helped him break free. Okay, let's just dig right in here. One of the most common besetting issues that I help people work through is pornography. And the excuse that shows up when people are trying to justify and minimize porn is this. They say, but it's not hurting anybody else. It's just me and my computer. That's not true. In watching porn, you're fueling the evil of human trafficking, whether you want to admit it or not. And I'll remind you of something else. When you click and watch That person you're watching, lusting after, diminishing and objectifying, is somebody else's son or daughter. Can we go a little further? That person is God's son or daughter. Can we just let that settle in for a second? I know it's uncomfortable, but it's true. And some of us right now are thinking, I I don't do that. Don't diminish your own reality. Your worry is not teaching your children to experience the peace of God, mom or dad. Your anger is a teacher. And your children will learn it and repeat it. The Bible says a little bit of leaven works its way through the whole loaf. A little bit of sin can infiltrate your family tree for a long time, unless, unless, you're the one in the power of Jesus' name and through his strength says these generational curses stop with me. So help me God. This is a little intense, isn't it? Stick with me. 
You know, when you boil down lying and selfishness, the root cause of these besetting sins really boils down to two simple statements. Number one, it's a lack of trust in God. Every time we lie, we lack the trust to believe that truth is the best choice. Every single time we lie, take matters into our own hands and substitute the truth, this is what we're saying. We don't believe that we matter enough to God that he would step in and handle our situation, our own personal situation. So what do we do instead? We manufacture a story, we end up lying to ourselves, others, and ultimately God. That's the reality of every single besetting sin. Every sin is ultimately against God. David has been confronted with this sin in Psalm 51 verse 4, and he says this in a prayer to God, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you're proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. If you don't know the story of King David, who was known as a man after God's own heart, you know what I love about David? He was a man after God's own heart and he had issues. <laughs> but he was courageous enough to confront them. David had sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah, but he saw his sin primarily against God. He refers to it as evil in God's sight. Sin is never unseen by the eyes of a holy God. Hebrews 4.13 says, everything is exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And God had clearly told David, you shall not murder and you shall not commit adultery. He did it anyway. Why? Because he thought he knew better. It was a lack of faith in the God that had promised David the very throne that he sat on. So it's a lack of faith in God, then it's, or it's a lack of trust in God, and then secondly, it's a lack of faith in God's promises. Every time I choose my own way and act in my own strength, I'm going to tell you what that is. It's a moment of practical atheism. In the bottom of my soul, because of my decision to go back to my besetting sin, this is what I'm declaring. I'm declaring I don't believe God cares enough to handle my situation, so I'm going to refuse to believe his promises. When I choose my habitual sin, I push God away from my weakness. I believe the lie that I can do this on my own, and I purposefully avoid his promise of deliverance. Now, don't get discouraged. Some of you are sitting way back in your chair. It's like, I needed an encouraging word today. I didn't need to come face to face with my own garbage. I didn't need to hold up that mirror. Thank you so much, Grant. Yesterday was hard enough watching the guys in tight pants and helmets, you know, Seahawk it. I mean, I mean, it was hard enough as it is. I don't need this stuff right now. Don't be discouraged because can I tell you something? There's an alternative to besetting habitual sin. Jesus has a better way. Jesus has a better way. And he sees you. He knows your weakness. So this is what happens inside of us. This is the opportunity. When I'm feeling drawn to that entangling sin, instead of pushing God away from the weakness, I can have a moment of courage and welcome him into it. Before I get my elbows deep, in something that I hate, but find myself doing over and over again, there's a moment there when God says, don't run away from me, turn towards me. Invite me into it. 
Believe the truth that God is more powerful than that hunger inside of you to do what you know is wrong. Believe that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Stand on his promise of strength and deliverance in that moment. Turn your back purposefully on your sin. Turn towards God in your weakness. And as you walk away from what you've had to surrender to over and over again, walk towards Jesus and claim a victory in Jesus' name. I promise you, when it happens once, it can happen again and and again and again you put that whole thing together and you know what it is it's a life of faithfulness it's a life of victory can i tell you something if you're feeling discouraged today you are surrounded by a group of people who've walked exactly the same path here's the beauty of it many of those around you are walking in victory because instead of pushing god out of those hard moments they welcomed him in they welcomed him in we have an opportunity every time that hunger to run back to it, whatever it is. Every time we have an opportunity to choose Jesus again and again and again and again. So we come down to another question, right? In the face of your own besetting, habitual, entangling sin, whatever you wanted to use to describe it, where are you lacking faith and trusting God? As we get ready to wrap up, I want to remind you of something. Abram had a promise, and so do you. I love the promise that God gave every single one of us. John chapter 8, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You know why I love these verses so much? Because this is what God is saying. He's saying, I've got a, I've got a table set for you. And the feast I've laid out in front of you is so unbelievably beautiful. And you don't need to eat that garbage that the world is forking up on the plate every single day. No, you can come and sit down at my table and here's the deal. You're, you're not just a household servant to me. You're a son or daughter. And I've got a place with your name tag and it's completely laid out in front of you. All you have to do is choose to pull up a chair and enjoy the feast that I've provided for you. And when you sit down with no chains attached, <laughs> you can fully enjoy the presence of God, the provision of God, the miraculous nature of God. It's all there in front of you because you're part of the family. You don't need to settle in the repetitive, habitual patterns of your life. God can and will break you free. So here's my challenge. Will you accept the invitation and come to the table today? Will, will you open your heart and say, if the son says he, I'm free, then I'm actually going to live free today. Well, here's where it begins. So we've created break-free journals for you. We were handing them out as you were coming in the door. And I'd like to invite you to actually grab it right now and hold it in your hands. 
I have multiple 12-step books in my office. I keep them in one corner because they're very private and there's a lot of pain in them. But every once in a while, I'll just pull it out and I'll start flipping through and walking back through the journey. I have to battle with my own shame when I flip back through it because I got my stuff, you've got yours. But what shows up over and over again in my journey are the promises of God. I'll never leave you, never forsake you. I'm here for you. So I want to invite you to flip to week number two. You're going to have to work backwards from last week if you missed it. But in week number two, every single time we come together as a teaching team, and and I'm so excited about what's coming in the weeks to come. Pastor Brian will be preaching to you in the weeks to come. Dr. Lamusita is going to be back. We don't call him Dr. Lam, he's just Lam, right? Lam's going to come and share parts of his story as well. And every single week, we're going to give you one question, one truth, and one promise that we know will sustain you as you walk this journey. So here's one question for today. Do I really believe God can break me free? Easy to write down the word yes. Do you really believe that after all of the years you may have spent tripping up, do you believe that 2023 is the year when you get to walk tall. No more entanglements. Freedom. As you consider walking free, what's the one truth you need to hold on to? My one truth is this. God is greater than my entangling sin. Stronger, more powerful, He walks in the room, my habitual repetitive pattern, it starts to shake in its boots because my conquering king has showed up and he wants to overwhelm what is broken in me so that I can turn to him and become whole. And And then what's one step you can take? Do you need to find someone to be accountable to when you're tempted to run to a computer and start clicking? Do you need to welcome accountability? Do you need to sign up for unwanted or steps? I don't know, Grant, that, 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 that. those classes are for people who have real issues. Don't let judgment get in the way of you becoming whole. Start today. One more step. Do I need to acknowledge the depth and damage that my sin has caused? And do I need to go back and start making amends? My 12-step brothers and sisters know exactly what I'm talking about. When you go back and sit face-to-face with someone that your sin has crushed, and you enter into that sacred space where you say, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me for all of the nights 
when I chose the garage and a bottle over you? Would you forgive me for talking about you behind your back? Would you forgive me for not doing this four years ago? (laughs) This is the time. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna create some space. Gonna give you a couple minutes to take your journal. And if you wanna start writing right now, you can start doing that. If you wanna pray, this is a beautiful time to pray. Andy and the worship team are gonna play for just a minute or two. And then we're going to, to say something to God that I hope and pray we can sincerely mean. I'll make room for you to do whatever you want to because I wanna be whole. No more besetting sin. So we'll leave you in the quietness of this moment for just right now. And anything you wanna write out, pray to God and talk to, and then the worship team will lead us. Right now, let's do real business with God. He's here, he loves you, and he wants you to break free. Let's do that work right now in our hearts.